hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome. We're delighted you're with us here on this resurrection weekend. Either if you're in the room or you're watching online, thank you for joining us. God bless you. What a great time to celebrate the incredible resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We welcome you. We are so delighted that you are here. And we know that this can be somewhat of a polarizing conversation. There are some in the room that actually believed in a physical, bodily resurrection of a man named Jesus over 2,000 years ago. Maybe there are others in the room that you're not there yet. And you know what? That's okay. We're just glad you're here with us. Like wherever you are on the resurrection meter, right? If there is such a thing, we're honored that you are with us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you open our eyes and you open our ears to the truth. In the name of our risen Lord, we pray this. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. A couple of interesting things about Luke and his Gospel is that Luke was a Gentile and Luke was a physician. Luke being a physician, it's likely that he was a careful observer of people, events, circumstances as a physician, which I think brings some much needed insight into this narrative of the resurrection. So I want to read Luke's account, Luke chapter 24. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12, reading out of the ESV. The scripture says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. Now they, being a group of women, verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's quite a question, isn't that? Verse 6, the two men said, he's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and he will be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Note verse 11 and 12. But these words seemed to them an idle tell and they did not believe them. Notice verse 12. Peter, but Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking in 
he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. <laughs> what an interesting account. The more that I read the account, Luke's narrative of what happened on that resurrection day, I'm kind of perplexed about what's going on with the 11 and the other disciples. As I read that narrative, verse 11 and 12, the text clearly says that the 11, these are the hand-picked disciples. Jesus hand-picked these 11. They're saying, this sounds like an idle tell. In fact, the Greek word says, this is nonsense. And then Luke gives us more detail when he says, they don't even believe it. Now think about what he is saying. The cream of the crop, the starting 11, if Jesus was to have an NFL team, they don't even believe the record, the statement of the ladies who came from the tomb. They're like, this is an idle tale. This is nonsense. We don't believe it. But Peter, Peter takes matters into his own hands a lot in the New Testament, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. But Peter gets the news and he's like, I, I got to check this out. And maybe you're here or you're watching online and you're like, man, I, I get the reaction of those apostles. I, I understand it. I, I, I see where they're coming from. And, and to me, Pastor, if I was real honest with you, it, it seems a little nonsensical to me as well. Let's at least give Luke credit for being detailed. Let's at least give Luke credit for his honesty and disclosing the attitude of those early disciples. Can we at least do that? I mean, Luke could have, Luke could have hidden this and, and we would have never known it. We would never have read it. And, and it would have maybe landed on us in a, in a softer, gentler way. But Luke is very detailed in the disclosure. The cream of the crop. Jesus' right-hand men are saying, it's an idle tale. It's nonsense. We don't even believe it. The good news is Luke wrote a second book in the New Testament, and that is the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, we learn more about what's happening post-resurrection. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, let's see what Luke records there. It's very, very important. Luke said that he, speaking of Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. Okay, say that with me. Many proofs. Proofs. Some translations say many infallible proofs. He presents himself alive by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So 40 days earlier, right? <laughs> Resurrection Sunday, if you will. We've got the 11 other disciples are like, I don't know. This seems like an idle tale. We, we're not into this. We don't even believe it. 40 days later, after many proofs. Now, what are some of those proofs? Well, uh, in the scripture, we have the prophetic proof. Isaiah uh, speaks of this in Isaiah 53. Psalm 1610 clearly speaks of a prophetic proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's biblical historical proof. You know, after the resurrection for 40 days before the ascension of Christ, scripture records that Jesus appeared to multiple people, multiple places. At one time, he appeared to more than 500 folks at one time. And then we have those apostles, right? Those guys on day one, clearly skeptical. Would you agree? Highly skeptical, highly skeptical. 40 days later, they're fully convinced that Jesus is alive and he is risen from the dead. 
In fact, they are so convinced that Jesus has risen from the dead. If you will read through the book of Acts, you will soon note that the primary message of those early apostles was the resurrection of Jesus. It's what they taught. It's what they preached. In fact, they believed it so much, and you may have known this, is that when church history tells us that most of those early apostles were martyred for their faith. Interesting. 40 days earlier, they're like, this is an idle tale, man. And here we are. They're taking this message into the streets. But there's more than biblical proof. There's historical proof. Josephus, who is a first century Jewish Roman historian, in his historical works, references, alludes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The proof is everywhere. Proof is everywhere. But I think the most powerful proof is the living proof. That's those of us who claim to know this Jesus. There is a living proof. And for thousands of years and millions of people, the most powerful proof that Jesus is alive is amongst his people. Those who claim his name, those who have said yes to him and surrendered their lives. We are the living proof. Let that land on you just a moment. That we are the living proof of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brings me to a question, maybe you as well. Well, what's all the fuss? Why is this necessary? Why do we need a Savior to give his life? to be resurrected. Pastor, I don't understand why. Let me give you a brief history. The why is because we are born into brokenness. We are born into brokenness. We see brokenness all around you. Do you not? It's, do you not? Man, if you don't see brokenness, I want to live in your world. You, brokenness is everywhere. And it seems to me that this brokenness that we're experiencing in life seems to be multiplying, seems to be growing, and we're seeing more brokenness. Not just around us, but within us. I sense brokenness within me sometimes. Do you? There's a brokenness to this world. But that wasn't God's design. God's design in the beginning was beauty. Genesis 1.31, the scripture says that after God had created everything, he said, oh, this is good. This is good. And, and he created us in this, this beautiful garden. And in that garden, there's Adam and Eve, and Scripture says that they walked in the cool of the garden, and they were in this incredible fellowship together. But they decided, under their own inclination, to make a decision outside of God's will for their life. The Scripture calls that sin. And that decision outside of God's will led humanity into brokenness. And that's where we find ourselves. We're born into this brokenness. And good grief when we're there. In my own experience, I'm not sure about you, but I, I, I've tried to get out of that brokenness in so many ways. For me, it was religion, right? For some people, it may be money or it may be substance abuse. It may be a relationship. There's so many ways that we try to escape this brokenness on our own. Addiction, so many ways, right? But we find ourselves unable to escape this brokenness. But the way out is actually through, through Jesus. He is the way out. Through an act of repentance and confession and belief, he is the way out. The resurrected Jesus is the way out of this brokenness. 
This Jesus who came to this earth and about 2,000 years ago, he was born in an obscure village. He was born to a virgin, a young virgin. This Jesus, he walked among us. He, he put on a, a nice robe, put on a pair of sandals, and he walked among us. Can you imagine? As he walked among us, this Jesus was, he was never less than God, but he was never ever more than man. He was man as God intended man to be. That's this Jesus. He lived on this earth for some 33 years. Sinless in his character, sacrificial in his love. This Jesus, he, he, he preached the message of a new kingdom that was coming, that was dawning. It was a kingdom of, of hope and redemption and salvation and eternal life. That was his message. He had a lot of conversation with the religious guys. He healed the lame and he touched lepers. He fed the hungry and he freed the demon possessed, this Jesus. He dined at the table with sinners and tax collectors. We would say he was revolutionary in his life and he was revolutionary in how he loved and his claim to be the son of God eventually led him to be crucified. Before he was crucified, we know he was arrested. And after he was arrested, he was a part of an illegal trial. And after that illegal trial, he was beaten by a professional executioner within an inch of his life. And then he's crucified on a cross. The Romans invented the cross as the most cruel act of death at that time in the world. Jesus finds himself on that cross where he is crucified. But friends, you got to know that none of this was ever outside of the redemptive intention of God, ever. The book of Acts tells us that this was God's plan. This was all a part of what God was going to be doing in the world. It was his plan from the beginning for God knew that we would need a savior. We would need a savior. We would need one that at just the right time that would come into the world and be a, a sacrifice for the sin of humanity, not just the sin of humanity, but my sin and your sin. And Jesus came as the son of God into this world as that sacrifice. And as a result, he abolished the penalty of sin and the power of death, giving eternal life to all who would believe. Jesus died on a Roman cross. He experienced the the, the physical pain and the psychological shame that came with that to show the extent of his love. But God transformed an instrument of death into a conduit of life. Let me say that again. God transformed an instrument of death into the conduit of life. For on the third day, just as he had promised and prophesied, his father raised him from the dead. And this Jesus is alive forevermore. And that raising from the dead, it broke the power of sin. It broke the power of death in our lives. And the death and the sin and the disobedience that had entered into the garden was now abolished forever for those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. The disobedience of Adam no longer reigns in those 
who've claimed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Not only that, those who claim Christ, we're no longer slaves and subjects of sins, but we are the sons and the daughters of God. We have a new position, a new righteousness. And even though we, we came, were born into brokenness and that wasn't God's intention in his love and his plan and his redemptive work, he brings us into relationship with his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that we are now the sons and daughters. We are the righteousness of Christ in him. Folks, this divine rescue mission is rooted in his incredible love, so powerful and so personal, we can't even comprehend it. That God has loved us more in one moment than anybody has ever loved you in an entire lifetime. And you may be asking, but does God love me? God has loved us when we wouldn't even love ourselves. God has loved us in so many incredible ways that, that Jesus is the, the ultimate proof of that love. Romans 5, 8 says that God has proved his love. He showed his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can God love you? He already loves you. Amen. It's not that he can, he does. And you might be saying, well, now, pastor, I'm not sure God, I'm not sure he knows what I've done. Listen, he knows every hair on your head. He knows every tear you've ever cried. He knows every laugh you've ever laughed. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly who you are. And in and through his son, Jesus Christ, this God says, I want you to bring it all. Come to me. Bring your brokenness, bring your sin, bring your pain, bring your shame, bring your regret, bring your loneliness, bring your fear, bring it all to me. And I will exchange it for forgiveness, hope, love, grace, and a purpose for you that you've never, ever imagined in my son, Jesus Christ. Folks, the resurrection is history's eternal game changer because it validates what Jesus said he would do, but more importantly, who we claim to be, who we claim to be. You see, without the resurrection, this whole Christendom thing, it's an idle tale. Let me say that again. Without the resurrection, this Christendom that we're talking about, it's nonsense. It's an idle tale. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. Look at what Paul says. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's a powerful declaration. Believing in the resurrection is essential to salvation, my friend. It's essential to salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Paul says this, that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord... Believe in our heart. He was raised from the dead. Say it with me out loud. You will be saved. Look at the importance of the resurrection. It's a, it's a, it's a confession of mouth. It's a belief in the heart. Then you will be saved. And I think that's the rub. That's where we pump the brakes sometimes spiritually. We're like, look, man, Jesus seemed to be a great dude. Seemed like an awesome teacher. Did some incredible things but I don't know if I'm ready to take it that far. 
This week I, I had a birthday. It's not, thank you. The number's not important at this point. Seems the older I get, uh, the less dramatic they are. Hold, go back one slide, Stuart. So this week on Wednesday morning when I got up, uh, which was my birthday, I uh, made my way into the kitchen. My wife had this beautiful box there. I'm like, oh my goodness, she's done it again. And, and then she had two cards. I'm like, wow, she's really up in her game. The first card on the outside of the, the, uh, of the card, the envelope said, I thought this was funny. So it was a funny card, and it was a very funny card. And then she had the other card, the serious card, the deep card. This is the card. And she said, well, one of the reasons I bought you this birthday card was the picture on the front. That's me with a suitcase, and looks like we're saying goodbye. I'm not sure why she thought that was a good card. I have no idea. She's like, no, 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 we're going places together. I'm like, oh, okay, looks like you're giving me the boot. But anyway... <laughs> this was a card, and then I opened it up. My, 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 what an incredible message. I, start, I began reading this, this amazing message. And, and as I read about this message and what she was saying about me, I became convinced she wasn't even speaking about me. It was that good. It was deep. It was meaningful. It was thoughtful. Uh, man, that's, that's amazing. And then I got to the other side of the card where you kind of wrap things up and, you know, you're Say your peace. And I took a close look at this card. And then I thought, I, think I'm, I don't think I saw that correctly. And I took another look at the card. And I said, I, I think I see it correctly. Stuart, would you mind bringing that picture up? It's not a birthday card, folks. It's an anniversary card. Now, let me say that again, because I don't think you heard it. She bought me an anniversary card for my birthday. And she thought, well, the thing to do is just X out the anniversary and just write in birthday. And she did that. She had, and I don't even know if that's legal. I don't even know if that'll even stand in a court of law. But this was the action she, she took. And, and, and as I thought about that, I'm like, OK, well, this may be the last card I ever get ever. She may just use this card. Our anniversary is in January. She might mark that out and or put uh, mark out happy birthday and put anniversary. And come next April, she may mark out anniversary and put happy birthday. She may never, ever buy me another card. And I understand we're in a recession. They're not giving these things away, right? They're not giving them away. Isn't it amazing that, I, by the way, I have her permission to tell the story. Isn't it amazing that we like to do that spiritually? We would like to write in some things that make us feel a little better, that we're comfortable with. We, we want to, if we can change the verbiage a little bit, now we're all in. Now it makes sense. Let me give an example. Let's take Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Suppose we did something like this with it. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, oh, let me mark that off and put, he was a good teacher. You will be saved. Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that absurd? But isn't that what we would like to do spiritually? To, to come to a place in our own life where we're, we're all in, if it's convenient, if it fits, if it doesn't require faith, I think I'm all in with Jesus. By the way, it's pretty common among some of the dominant religions in the world. 
I'm all in. Let me just mark that out and, and put what fits my life. We have a tendency to do this. The resurrection is at the center of God's redemptive plan for humanity. I close and in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus is in a conversation with Martha, who is the sister of Lazarus, who is in a grave, and Jesus is on the verge of raising from the dead. They are at that tomb having a conversation. Jesus says this to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question that we must answer. Do we believe that? You say, Pastor, I'm not buying that. I'm kind of still in Luke chapter 24, verse 11. I'm where those early disciples were. I'm kind of like, seems like an idle tale. I'm a little reluctant. I'm pretty skeptical. It's okay. It's okay. I would encourage you to do what Peter does. He investigated. He's like, wait a second. I'm not taking anybody's word for this. I'm going to go check it out myself. He runs to the tomb. He looks in. He's marveled at what happened. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not sure about this conversation, that's okay. My challenge to you is I want you to pray and say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. It's a courageous prayer. But say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Pray it today. Pray it tomorrow. Pray it this week. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. By the way, it's one of the key ways that many People around the world are coming to Jesus Christ as he is revealing himself in incredible ways. We would say unconventional ways, but he is interfacing with people. And there's an incredible movement around the world because of that prayer. I ask you to pray that prayer. Second of all, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm ready to cross the line. I've never given my life to Jesus. I'm embracing the resurrection. I'm placing my faith in action. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. If you're ready to do that, I want you to just kind of pray this simple prayer. Just, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to lead you in the prayer. Say it with me. Nothing magical about the prayer. It's just the posture of your heart saying, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads just for a moment. If you're ready to cross the line of faith, you want to say yes to Jesus. You say, Pastor, I've got questions. I, 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 I'm, I have questions. That's okay. It's an act of faith. We'll walk with you. We'll support you. We'll help you. We'll disciple you. But there's a step of faith to say yes to Jesus. If you're ready to do that, just say something like this to him right now. Say, dear Jesus, I admit, I admit that I've sinned. And Jesus, I, I, I want to repent of that sin. I want to turn from the sin and turn to you. In my heart. I believe you're the son of God that was raised from the dead and you are alive forevermore. I want to verbally confess that you are Lord and as a result I give you control of my life. Make me the person that you have created me to be for your glory. In the name of risen Christ, I ask this. Amen.
if you said something like that, or you prayed that, or you're like, I, I'd like to talk to someone about that. As you leave, I'll be at a table in the foyer. I'd love to talk with you and just chat with you about that. Say, hey, I, I want to lean in further. I want to know more. I, I, I want to know what it is to follow Jesus. I'd love to chat with you about that. So as you leave, I'll be out front. And don't hesitate to stop and say, Pastor, let's, let's talk more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Gregory's going to come and close us out with some announcements. Let me pray for you. If you're a believer in the room, my personal belief is that it is the body of Christ that is the most powerful proof of the resurrected Jesus. And if you're a believer, I would just ask you, take a moment, look at your life. As people see you, do they see the power of Christ? Do they see the presence of Christ? Do they see the joy of Christ at work in you? We are that proof, that living proof that Jesus has risen from the dead. So I just invite you just to take a, an assessment of your life. Find out where you could use some growth, where there maybe need to be some confession. Maybe you need to take a step of faith. So just let God work in you as well. Work in you as well. We are the living proof of the living Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.